what we've tried to do in our business is build uh, kind of a, just a culture of candor where it's okay to um, ultimately speak up about the things that aren't going well. And that can be either things you've done or when you express those things that you've done not perfectly. It also gives you the right, I think, to, to recognize and have difficult conversations with other people who maybe aren't doing the right things, whether that's a, what, another manager or a direct report. And I think that vulnerability layer is what a lot of people miss. Hey y'all, I'm Chase Clemens and this is the Support Ops Hangout. This is a show that helps you deliver a better support experience to your customers. We've got some of the best support pros in the business on the cruise. So before we tackle this week's topic, let's go ahead and meet them. First up in her brand new digs, at least for like the next couple of weeks or so, is Carolyn from Buffer. How are you? Hi, I'm good from sunny, beautiful Portland, Oregon. Mm. Portland gets like what, one sunny day a year? No, it's like four beautiful months and then the rest is less beautiful. Oh, that sounds divine. Yeah, the summers are pretty great. (laughs) Next up, back from his own adventures, Jeff from Wistia. How are you? Good. I'm good. I'm ready to rock. (laughs) And then uh, Chase Livingston's out this week, so we've got Connor filling in. Connor, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Smart minds. Well, we fake it really well. <laughs> and for those that uh, have never heard of you or Lessonly, tell us a little bit about you. Yeah. Um, so Connor Burt, I'm the CEO at Lessonly. We make uh, training software to help uh, customer-facing teams, often in customer support. Um, so I've, uh, we've been at it for about five years and, and are having a blast learning from support leaders like you bring on the show. Um, and uh, excited to be here. Nice. Yeah. So thanks for being here and I'll make sure to, uh, we'll make sure to tease everybody with links over to your site and everything else at the end of the show. That's the teaser. That's how we get them to get to the end. (laughs) So this week we're continuing in our every good manager series and we're going to look at this idea of uh, when you screw up. We'll do that since we don't want to put an explicit tag on this episode. (laughs) Uh, So we're going to be filling in the sentence with regardless of seniority, Every good manager will admit mistakes and not hide from them. So, Carolyn, we'll start with you. What was the last mistake that you struggled with? I mean, like, so Buffer is known for transparency and everything else, but was there anything, uh, like, when you made a mistake recently that you kind of struggled with about sharing that with the rest of the team? Or is it just default? It's just like, eh, this happened. This is, we're just going to be open about it. Well, no. There's, there's some amount of navel gazing that probably doesn't need to be shared. Um, I do a lot of reflecting on my mistakes. <laughs> it's also called anxiety. <laughs> um, but like in like a more useful uh, response is um, so I'm not in, I'm not leading the, the customer service team anymore. Um, but I remember very well my transition into that role. And like, I feel like there's kind of two things that come up when people don't admit to or discuss mistakes. And it's either because you like believe you are infallible or like you believe you should be infallible. Um, And those are different challenges, but both bad. (laughs) Um, But if like, if you're just like, a jerk and believe you're infallible, then like 
can help you if you're, if you're afraid to be infallible or you think that you should be. Um, I, I think that that's really common for new managers um, because you feel like, oh, well, you know, I was chosen potentially out of or over other people in the team, um, or you're trying to make sure that your team trusts you and, you know, that they feel confident in your leadership and things like that. So um, I think it can be really easy to try and hide those things. Um, and like to my, to my first point about like, I think there's sometimes that it's appropriate to do some reflection and not necessarily share it if it's something that you're learning from and moving on. But um, if it's something that the team should know about because it affects their work or um, you just want to let them know that you recognize your own mistake and that you're going to do it differently next time. Like in my limited experience of moving into a manager role, um, I've only done that once. I, I found that, you know, everybody's kind of an expert on different things and, um, no one is expecting you to be infallible. And in fact, if you let them know when you've like decided you're going to do something differently next time, or you just like straight up screwed up, um, everyone is like so much more interested in, in cheering you on and, and like believing that you're going to fess up and, and be honest with them the next time. Connor, when it comes to lessonly, what do you do when, because so it feels like Caroline, correct me if I'm wrong, but like there's this difference there between like making a mistake that really only affects like you kind of thing. Um, and, and versus like affecting the whole team or putting that project behind. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So make sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Connor, when it comes to, to like those mistakes that, that does have a bigger effect on the team, how to, how do you handle it? Yeah, I, Carolyn, I think hit it. I think it's, uh, having the vulnerability to kind of open up the kimono to the mistakes you made and then sharing with the team kind of what you learned from that experience. I guess kind of real world, world example I would give is, um, on the post sales side of our business, we ran, uh, for lack of a better word, an experiment about specializing roles in our post sale experience. Um, and essentially what we learned was, uh, it was, a, it was overly complex for the customer, uh, caused a lot of confusion. Uh, and ultimately we were optimizing for the wrong things. It was not a customer first, uh, strategy that we deployed. And I think what we did was we went to the team and said, look, we tried this. Um, it didn't work. Here's the wrong assumptions we made. Here's what we've learned. Um, and here's what we're going to do going forward. Um, and I think you know, what I've learned uh, from the mentors that we've had in this business, specifically our CEO, um, is that consistently doing that is what makes it easier. I think when you're kind of making these one-time big kind of failure moments, um, it makes it a lot harder. What we've tried to do in our business is build uh, kind of a, just a culture of candor where it's okay to um, ultimately speak up about the things that aren't going well. And that can be either things you've done or when you express those things that you've done not perfectly, it also gives you the right, I think, to, to recognize and have difficult conversations with other people who maybe aren't doing the right things, whether that's a, another manager or a direct report. And I think that vulnerability layer is what a lot of people miss. Jeff, how do you have it over at Wistia? Like when you've got, 
you know, you've got people that are relying on decisions that you make and then you, you get one of them wrong. I mean, you're human just like the rest of it. So like, how do you handle that? Well, I think Connor just nailed a lot of it. Um, you be accountable to that decision. You talk about what went into it. Um, and you talk about how you're going to move forward from it. And I think if you're missing any of those three parts, the whole thing kind of falls apart. It may not be something that people can put their finger on, but people are going to be dissatisfied with the outcome, right? If you don't talk about, uh, if you don't say we were wrong in this decision, then people are like, okay, clearly what we value here is never admitting our mistakes. Like, I'm not going to do that either. If you don't talk about the assumptions that you had going in, then people are missing all kinds of useful context in making their own decisions day to day, right? They They may be making a big decision that day that, could use the learnings you got out of your mistake. Uh, And then lastly, if you don't talk about how you're going to move forward, even if you're moving forward is we're going to go back to the drawing board and work on this, then people are kind of left being like, well, um, so are we just not working on that anymore? Like, is that initiative no longer important? Um, It's a lot, a lot of times uh, mistakes of omission around this stuff are, are like the killer. You kind of forget to bring it up or you don't think it's that important to bring it up. And the team reads something into it. So I think that's like hugely important to, if you make a big decision, you put down immediately in 30 days, we're going to look back on this and, and share an update at the very least with the team. Carolyn, you're not along right through there. It's almost like you've been through that. Uh, yeah, we've done a lot. And that's kind of like the difference that you clarified between like, I missed an email and like totally screwed something up versus we could have taken this a lot of different directions. We picked one. It wasn't ideal. We're going to try it differently next time. And for like those first ones, I mean, you know, you just got to just own up. Um, for the second ones, we do uh, at Buffer, we use, I, I've talked about this before, um, the five whys sort of model of post-mortem-ing. <laughs> um, and the reason I like that is first of all, it's like kind of a useful, um, it's just a useful, very simple model, but it's also the philosophy behind the, the five whys, which is, you know, you say, okay, this happened or this didn't happen. Why? And then, you know, do four more. Well, what's the reason, what was the reason for that? Um, and what you end up with is like a, it's sort of based on the concept that if, if a big problem happens, it's a systematic breakdown. It's not, it's not usually one individual person who screws up. Um, and we found that to be very much the case, even if it is one individual per individual person who was sort of the weakest link, it's usually because that person didn't have the right amount of information or that they were given something that was, you know, out of their, out of their skill scope, um, or they weren't trained properly or whatever, which is like, that is a systematic breakdown. Even if like you can sort of, even if one person's sort of feeling like it's their fault, it's usually not that simple. Um, so yeah, we've definitely done that. Um, and to Jeff's very specific last point about like setting a specific time, we often do that with decisions. If, if it's more of the, well, we could go either way. Um, and if it's, sort of a technical thing, let's review it in seven days. If it's like a big cultural decision, let's review it in three months and with a little bit of hindsight and see how it goes. And um, that amount of time, like setting a time that you're going to review a decision also makes everybody feel better that it's not just going to be, oh, well, we're never going to talk about that again. 
Yeah, I think that 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 time frame for review piece is um, a component of the decision making process. And what you're saying about systematic failure, like that's one of the things you should totally look at when you make decisions that end up being good or bad, um, but especially bad. Um, what was the process that we followed? Did we like forget to get input from a bunch of really important people? Uh, did we rush the decision and then we didn't get all the data that we needed to make the right one? Um, how should we do it? You know, did it take too long because we had eight people who needed to approve it or something like that? A lot of times when something goes wrong, looking at that decision-making process can at least get you started uh, in some sort of post-mortem or retrospective on how you might do it better next time. It feels like it's not like, like when we, when we talk about mistakes, it's always like, who's to blame, right? I mean, like even with Git, there's a Git blame that points to somebody, right? Um, but like from what you are describing, it kind of feels like more like the blame doesn't really. So if we walk back five whys and there's five individual people that, that made five individual mistakes that one in an isolated incident would have been bad. It's just like the combination of those five all at the same time, like that's what doomed the project or whatnot. Like from what uh, Caroline and Jeff, you're describing, it feels like it's not about the the blame at that point. It's more about the, like, we're just going to establish what actually happened, like the facts of this situation. And then we're going to make sure it doesn't happen again. Yeah. I think you want to figure out what box it goes into, right? Was it a mistake of approach or strategy or was it a mistake of execution? Do we have the right idea and then there are a bunch of people on the team who maybe weren't bought in or somebody on vacation or whatever, for whatever reason, we just kind of dropped the ball on how we rolled it out. Those are the kind of like, that's like the high level type of thing you need to get into. I think the, in terms of your original question around as a leader and a decision maker, I would caution people against if you, uh, if you make a decision with no input from the rest of your team and then it doesn't go well, and then you want to uh, have a postmortem on how it didn't go well. And you kind of say to the team, hey, we're going to have a blameless postmortem on how it didn't go well. Like, don't expect that to be like a well-participated meeting. Um, you need to figure out, like, maybe you're, instead of doing a postmortem with the group, you're just going to write up, hey, I made a mistake and I'm not going to do it again. I'm not exactly sure. But you have to be, again, you have to be aware of, like, the context and how you got to now in terms of what your next steps are. So, uh, Connor, when it comes to laying out those next steps, like we kind of talked about, um, you know, that they laying those out are important. So I'm kind of curious how far out. So like once the, the mistake is made and identified, um, just said 30 days, like how, how long do you have before um, you do have to like, have a postmortem, write something up, talk with a team, whatever you want to call it. Like how, how long do you have before you make that action? Um, and, and more importantly, like what, um, like what kind of concrete things do you need to do going forward to make sure that it doesn't happen again? I know that's yeah. like a weird hypothetical, but you know, no, no, no. I, I hear you. I, I mean, I think kind of, uh, you, you kind of got the, the context of what the decision was. I think as Jeff was mentioning, some decisions are just going to take longer to get to an endpoint. I think the harder part is to remember as an organization to go back to them because we always want to go to the next thing, right? We, we kind of make a change and we go do it. And then we get excited about the next change and we forget about the prior one. So I think the more important thing isn't so much how long do you have. It's that you set yourself a date, say 
organized as an organization to go back to it on the right time frame. Um, we've tried different ways tactically to do that as an organization, uh, from simple spreadsheets to Trello to Basecamp to uh, other different tools. And I don't know if there's been like a silver bullet there other than just organizational discipline um, to look back on decisions. And, and I think, you know, the kind of next steps and what you do ultimately, honestly, is probably situational depending on what the decision was. How much, um, how, what's a good way to ask this? Uh, so, you know, you go through, you, you talk with the rest of the team, you figure out what went wrong, you write something up or you have a phone call to kind of lay it out or whatever you do. Right. At that, like how important is that hanging around at that moment? So I'm thinking like, um, uh, okay. So like we just finished up a cycle at Basecamp where we spent eight weeks and didn't ship anything. Mm-hmm. Um, we got to the end and was like, this is just not working. Uh, like there are some fundamental miscommunications that happened here. Things broke down. Kind of like Carolyn was mentioning, there was like five different things that lined up perfect storm. Boom. Nothing like nothing shipped. So, uh, we went back and identified the mistakes that's made and then wrote it up and posted for everyone to see. Is that something that at that moment, like we should keep around for reference a year from now, or is it one of those like, well, it's done. Like, let's just move on and forget about this situation. Like forget about this, this thing that happened. That's a great question. I'm, I'm going to throw that to you too. <laughs> I actually don't have a, that, that's a tough one. I don't know if I have a perfect answer for that. Well, I don't have a perfect just, answer either. Just take some time to think about it. Tibet, this is where we need a sponsor plug. So I could like, <laughs> <laughs> this week, check out Lessonly. <laughs> yeah, you need like a time hop for your lessons learned from the past. Yeah. As an, as an aside, I do think... Um, <laughs> yeah, so like Connor, if there was something that for whatever reason, like y'all... Like the the um, flow you were talking about earlier that wasn't optimized for the customer. Yeah. Was that something that y'all wrote up and then like posted somewhere for new people to see or for, for like history for the, the company to refer back to? Or was it more just like, you know, hey, here's the mistakes we made. Here's the, the problems that are now fixed. And then we're just going to like move on. Yeah. So we, we addressed that one. And I think the bigger sweeping things like that in kind of our in team environments. So like our weekly team meetings that are much more kind of point in time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can tell you, as you bring in more leaders into the, the fold and you bring higher different personnel that those types of decisions are really valuable to see over time. Cause what I find as an organization we do is we bring in a fresh face with new ideas and it's really hard to almost like onboard those leaders to say, Hey, here's the things we've tried that have totally failed in the past so that we're not always cycling through the same things. Um, so admittedly, lessonly as an organization doesn't do it, but I think your point's great. If, if there was some sort of, if I could envision like a timeline of all the decisions a department or a team has made, uh, yeah. and we could see like red, yellow, green, good decision, bad decision, here's what we learned, that would be absolute pure gold for an organization. We don't do it well though. And there's someone in our audience is a great app that needs to be invented. <laughs> You've even got a time, like uh, a catchphrase when Carolyn was like time hop for decisions. <laughs> <laughs> the product hunt pitch. 
Yeah. I would say we've fallen down the rabbit hole because we have some people on our team who have incredible memories, like incredible, incredible memories. We have fallen down the rabbit hole of rat. We don't need to document it because actually there's a curmudgeon on board who already knows <laughs> what decision we made and where we messed up. And I'll just caution you that the context around the decision, which has like infinite variables that you don't even know and can't keep track of, has a huge impact on the outcome of the initiative. And I, I feel like almost sometimes, like not, I don't, I don't think, I don't feel um, in opposition to what Connor was saying about um, doing the same thing over and over again. But I, I, having seen the opposite of that, like we've tried it once, it didn't work. We'll never ever do it again. Yeah. I'm against that as well. Like what, what didn't work two years ago may actually be the perfect thing now. And if yeah. right after someone proposes it, someone else is like, stupid idea, never worked, yeah. tried it, huge <laughs> failure. Then like some, someone, yeah, you just, you, you'll, you won't even go down the route of what could have been a success. I, there's a, there's a balance to strike there. I don't know yeah. what it is, but I, I guess the old adage of like what worked today won't work you know, in a few months or after adding a few more people is probably also true about most other decisions as well. So not a counterpoint, just like a balance point to set. It's just, it's tough. So build that app, but maybe it like disappears after a while. <laughs> I like it. Or like it's labeled invalid after 30 days or something. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree with you though. I, honestly, the, the context of those things, going back to them isn't necessarily a bad idea. It's just like, Give give them all the information about why we tried it, and what we learned, and then let's decide if it's good. To, now's a better time to try it. I think you're totally right. Yeah, we did that. So uh, the it sounds so easy. Just a Google Docs integration with Basecamp. It took us like three attempts to get that right, um, and it was like each time we attempted it. You know, so we try the first time it didn't work. Here's why it didn't work. Mm-hmm. Try it the second time didn't work. Here's why it didn't work. And the third time it's like, all right, well, we know these two approaches don't work. And we know in this context, like Jeff was saying, it doesn't work. What if we do this? And then that third time clicked and it worked. Um, so yeah, I think there's, like Jeff said, it's not really a counterpoint. It's just a balance. Like most of the things that we talk about on the show is you've got to have, you got to have this kind of, this institutional history is the wrong word, but like you have to have like this record that you can refer back to about decisions and um, cycles and work and and things that your company has done, but you have to make sure that it's not just a one-off like thing. You have to have the context around those to really make it useful. Yeah. One thing I would add to that chase is I think it's important to include like the wins as well as the losses. I think we're focused obviously on admitting, admitting mistakes today. Um, but but I'm a I'm a big I'm a Butler guy. So anyone that knows Brad Stevens, I quote him all the time. But one of the things he always says is, you know, uh, throughout a season, uh, basically now at the Celtics, they take wins and they take losses and they take those things as information so they can get better. And I think it's true of the teams and the organizations we all work with is just as much as the wins and the losses, those all need to go into that institutional knowledge. Um, because there's all these valuable nuggets in those things. Sometimes the losses are better than the wins, but at the end of the day, both are important to kind of make up where do we go from here. All right. Any last thoughts? 
Cool. Uh, all right. So that's our take on this one. Let us know what you think and how your uh, company handles it. I really am curious, like if anybody out there documents those wins and losses in a way that like is repeatable each time that that's really kind of interesting. So um, let us know. We're at support ups on Twitter. You can email us. It's hello at support or really anything at support I think it all works and comes <laughs> one inbox. <laughs> at the end of the day. So you can do howdy y'all or whatever you want to do there. Um, so Connor, like as promised, if people want to find out more about uh, you and Lessonly, like if, okay, so your little like, like 15 second plug, there's your spot. What is it? And yeah. That's our show. Okay, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually going to go try and uh, sell Lessonly to these two uh, right to my right on the screen here. So. <laughs> no, um, you find us at lessonly.com. If you run a customer facing team of 25 people or more, really want to fix uh, your training process with some cool software, that'd be us. Lessonly.com. Awesome. So go check them out. Connor, thanks again for being on the show. Yeah, you bet. All right. For everybody else, until we see you again, have an awesome week.